was growing up, justification had a little bit different meaning than the Christian view. Justification was, I did this, and this is why I did it. In other words, I justified why I did it, making myself right in my own eyes. And the thing is, uh, there's no difference in a sinner's eyes nowadays. And we often will go to God and say, this is why I'm doing this. Until you enter into God, I'm going to keep doing it. We justify ourselves in what we're doing in that. Let's begin, shall we? Let's begin with that. Justification is a horrendous term as opposed to condemnation. As regards its nature, it is the judicial act of God by which humans are resolved to sin to those who believe in Christ and account, accept, and treat them as righteous in the eye of the law. In other words, Form to law of its command. Remember, biblically, Jesus did not come to remove the law, but help me out to fulfill the law. And he transforms us, makes us into conforming to that law. Let's look at that next slide. In addition to the pardon of sin, you might say lawlessness, or you might say iniquity, transgression. In addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the Sovereign may stand up and say, I declare you pardoned. Like we have presidential pardons when a president leaves the office of position for our incoming president, then we do not make several pardons. There are pardoned people who have been in prison for four years, some of them for 20 years, and there's no explanation necessary. They use their power to pardon them. It would be kind of like a sovereign act. Fellowship, okay, good, that's it. 
so all these may pop up as advantages. What do you think it might mean to have a sinless life? Well, then we become Christians, and in God's eyes, we become sinless, forgiven. What advantages do you get as a Christian? Any? Well, Holy Ghost. All those all fit into something called fellowship, don't they? Fellowship with God. Being able to talk to God. Being able to approach God. Being able to speak to God. Being able to be in God's presence. So, when we're talking about biblical justification, we're not talking about the law being relaxed. In other words, let me make an exception for you. What we're talking about is the law being satisfied. The law being satisfied. The propitiation came and satisfied every demand. But that law is declared to be fulfilled in the sixth sense, and so the person justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards arises in perfect obedience to the law. Let's take a look at some of those things in Romans chapter 5, and let us begin in verse 1. And before we do that, take a look at a neat little picture I found here about justified. Meaning, just as if I never sinned. It doesn't mean let me prove that you're right. It means let me make you right. Let me make it right. Romans chapter 5. And I know we're going to read a little bit more than just one. Let's read verse 21. The Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We all see one of those advantages right now. Peace with God. Two, through Him also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, right? And perseverance, character, and character, hope. That hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Starkly, for a righteous man, will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now the truth of the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a Free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many die, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one Christ, Jesus Christ, abounds many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in the 
For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many would be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody help me say thank you, God, for the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ. We commence this now here tonight. We commence with it. If we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord, we believe on Him who is God, the source of all, acting in divine power, raising the one who was delivered for our offenses. Now we're talking about justification. We're talking about what it means to be justified. We're talking about those seven pictures of a justified Christian. Now, when you start thinking about a kid, when you start thinking about a child, those children, I love them, and they are the greatest pictures of a family. A child does not have any shame. Y'all know that's true? They can go about their business with no problem whatsoever. I love children. And children represent a family better than anybody in the world. How many of you know there's no secrets in Sunday school when it comes to children? If you told your kid not to tell it, guess who they told it to Sunday morning? Sunday school teacher knew. You were like, don't be telling your Sunday school teacher about that. Sunday school teacher know about it. Let me tell you about my youngest son, Jonathan. Jonathan is a great kid. I love him. Death, wonderful young man. God bless us with him. And I have a testimony about God. You know, not to break it off on Sunday, but Jonathan, um, Jonathan's a miracle. He really is. And uh, I remember the day Dexter came home. Or actually, I came home. Dexter came home. So guess what? Dexter going to be a father again. And we celebrated. We had a wonderful time with that. And we have a tradition in my house to name our children JT. And by the way, we were running out of JT. That was uh, my, all my brothers were JT. My big brother's children were JT. I had three sons with JT. And I was like, man, we got something with JT. So we were praying and thinking, praying and thinking about what to name Johanna. And I remember that night, uh, like it was yesterday, as horrific as it was for us, that he woke up and things were not good for us. The um, peaceful night and peaceful bed was now stained red with blood and fear. And he went running to the hospital. And Oh, did we grieve? Anybody ever tells you they don't grieve in a miscarriage? They don't know what's talking about. We grieve. We love that boy. Like he, he was already there. He was. And let me tell you, children in the womb are just as much alive. Just as much alive. We grieve. Oh, did we grieve? We grieve. We thought it was just like playing with toys. Right? Like playing with toys. And another doctor came in for me. So he gave us the other news. Horrible news. The news of why Dexter's here Jesus. They told us, well, that's like one of two things are going to happen. He's going to die inside because it's a full treatment. He's going to be born with all kinds of problems. Plus, the 
God for what time you have. Well, needless to say, I've got the most man amongst yourself, you little boy. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. And uh, that probably means that you're kind of strong and you're kind of great to me. And he was. Conversation. However, Jonathan also justifies everything he does. I mean, he justifies everything he does with some reason, some way he says, Pastor, where did you learn this from? From his dad, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> but he did, and he does. And I, I think that's amazing to watch children do that. How they will justify what they do, justify what they say. Justify the family. Their family could be doing something, and you say, why are they doing it? And the kid will say, well, this is the reason why. As though it's the most obvious thing in the world. And you should have thought about that or some other reason. Kids will justify that. We do it with God, too. When God convicts us, well, God, if you had bothered intervening, or God, if you'd bothered providing for them, would not be doing this. And so, you know, we justify our sin. But we're looking at the seven pictures of a justified believer. Justified people have something that's amazing to me, just like the kids does. They have something that we lose the older we get. And I don't know why we lose it. We should not lose it. And that's our boldness. We end up losing our boldness. We lose that boldness. You know, there's nothing more scary than walking up to somebody you don't know and talking to them about Jesus Christ. Some of you say, oh, I do it all the time. God bless you, but I've been doing it for 30 years, and it's still frightening to me. There's nothing more frightening than getting into a, a debate with somebody who says, I don't believe there's a God, and they got more letters behind their name than the alphabet soup. That's scary sometimes, and I admit it, it's scary to me. Somebody who can argue and debate and argue and fight with reason and logic, and I have no idea what he's talking about. However, as a Christian, I need to remember how justified I am. And I can walk into any situation with boldness because my Father has already won the victory. He's already brought that to me. And that's where we are right now. So we need to commence with that. We believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord. We believe on Him who is God, the source of all acting and divine power, raises the one who was delivered for our offenses. And don't let anybody take that away from you, Christian. Don't let anyone take away the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, gave His life for you, justified you, and made you what you are right now. And that is a victorious Christian. I'm speaking to Christians tonight. You can't be justified unless you are a Christian. And if you're justified, then you are more than a conqueror through Christ who has made you what you are. Let's take a look at our next slide. This act of justification is God's approval and satisfaction of the work of Christ on the cross, answering to the type of the Red Sea. What I mean by that is the part of the Red Sea was the justification of Israel leaving out into the world, leaving Egypt behind a point of separation, if you will. It says Egypt cannot follow your separation from the world and the blood of Jesus Christ says you cannot go back to the world. You will be God's, and God's only justified in the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, of Romans 5.1, which is what I'm really hitting on tonight, is the first consequence of this justification. So let's go back to Romans 5, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard the old Bible study before. If you have a therefore, you should go back and read what it's there for. And that stands true today. Don't have time to go back into chapter 4, but I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to remind you, we're looking at those seven pictures 
of a justified believer, seven traits of a justified believer, and the very first one that you look at right there is peace with God. Let's take a look at our next slide. This is righteousness imputed to us. A righteous God imputes righteously His own righteousness to us on the principle of faith. Not only are our sins forgiven, but He looks upon us in all the perfection of Christ Himself. So let me explain that to you. As a Christian, when you put Jesus Christ in your heart, when you let Jesus Christ be your Lord and your Savior, God imputes Jesus' righteousness to you. That means it was never about how righteous you are. It's never about how good you are. Let me put it to you like this. You ever been on an airplane with somebody? And some of you have been. Some of you have been in the military. Some of you jumped out of airplanes. You ever thought you could help the airplane fly by stopping your arms? That's what happens when we try to help God with our righteousness. It's that ridiculous. And it's that useless when we say, God, let me help you out. When really what we need to be doing is walking in the justification of Jesus Christ through faith. Through faith. Because faith is the vehicle God works through. Faith is the vehicle God expresses Himself in this world through. And I think that's amazing. You can look at faith, the Bible defines what faith is. Can anybody help me with that definition of it from the book of Hebrews chapter 11? I think it's verse 6 of Hebrews Christ. Faith is the substance of... I can't hear you. Amen. Hey, that's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things we haven't seen. Things we hope for. Faith. That's the vehicle God works through. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For we are saved by grace through faith. That's the vehicle He works through to bring us to that. And so if you were to compare faith then to a modern-day car, what does your faith look like? I don't know about you, but my faith probably looks more like what you does. Some of you might say, I've got faith that looks like a Cadillac. I've got faith that looks like a big Dodge Ram, or whatever, whatever it may be. But what happens, though, as we're driving down the road of life, and we're driving in through that, that life of faith, and our vehicles do sometimes hit potholes, don't they? Sometimes they do get on toll roads, don't they? And sometimes our vehicles will check into life. Sometimes we run out of gas because we were not smart enough to get reset and recharged. And we decide, well, I think I'm just going to walk down the road. And really, we should have stayed in the vehicle. We should have stayed in the vehicle by grace, we have been saved through faith. A lot of times we think we can take ourselves where we need to be and be the vehicle behind us. Can't do that. So we're talking a little bit about righteousness. We're talking about being justified. We're talking about righteousness imputed to us. A righteous God imputes righteously His own righteousness to us on the principle of faith. Not only are our sins forgiven, but He looks upon us in all the perfection of Christ Himself. What that means is God has used put Jesus in your heart God doesn't see you in your righteous works. He sees Jesus and His completed righteous work on the cross. He lived that perfect life. He lived that sinless life. He lived that life that God required. And now that's what God sees when He looks at you. No longer does He see Joshua's works. He sees Jesus' Christ. He sees Jesus' works. He sees His righteousness, not my righteousness. And I praise God for that. Through the work of Christ, like the prodigal, we are given the best robe, merit requirements to work on our part and have no place here. This is 
constituents, the believers standing before God, based on Christ's work, and is therefore settled on a Passage now sets before us seven blessed results for this justification. So we find there in verse 5, which are divided into two parts the first three and the last four. First three, we have peace with God, access by faith to do the great world we can, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God apart from our past, present, and future. So we'll take a look at those first three tonight if we have time to do so. This peace with God. Let's look at that verse. Number one, peace with God. Seven traits of justification. Peace with God. This is the very first trait of a person who has been justified. They have peace with God. And that tells me and should tell you that if you're not justified with God, then you're not at peace with God. And let me ask you a question. Right now, when you think about God, you have peace in your heart. When you think about your eternal home, you have peace in your heart. Online, you have peace with God. The very first trait of a justified believer is peace with God. We have peace with God, and the first consequence of justification is that God removes and eternally removes the reproach of guilt on our conscience. You know what that means? Have peace with God? Let me tell you what it means to me. This is my definition of it. And I love God for it. Now, there are people who are debate with me, and I don't believe for one iota of a minute, not one centillion of a second. I don't believe that for one minute. And so, when I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ, when I'm justified through that, then I have peace with God. That no matter what happens, no matter how bad I might mess up, He will keep His word because He cannot lie. I can. I have peace with God. I have peace with God because He's faithful. He's true. And thank God it doesn't depend on me. Can I ask you another question? If it depended on how good you are after you got saved, we would have already lost it. All of us would have. In fact, if it depended on us to keep it, then we should have earned it in the first place. But you can't. You can't keep it. You can't maintain it. You can't grow it. It's all of God. All you can do then is in faith walk and be justified and develop that relationship with Jesus. Him more. And all the young Christians ask me, Pastor, what should a young Christian be doing? What should I be doing? Develop your love relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that quickly now. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's, let's look at it in a, a, a earthly sense. That's your relationship with Jesus. Now think about this for a second. Some of the ways we understand love as humans is in the marriage. And the Bible refers to us as the bride of Christ. And that's the way we understand that relationship. It is a marriage. In fact, God will often accuse Israel, not just accuse them, rightly so, call out their sin and say, you're an adulterer. You committed adultery on me with Baal or with Molech or some of these other Old Testament deities. And as we get into the New Testament, idolatry is still very much there as we worship alcohol, sports stars, fame, fortune, money. You know what I'm talking about. Serve both God and mammon. Either way, when you become a Christian, you're now in a love relationship. And that love relationship must be nurtured. Now I'm going to use me and Betsy here as an example. Betsy's saying, Oh my goodness, 
Good thing our kids aren't talking about this. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a second. Now, think about it. Betsy and I have been married 26 years, and we can share a lot of things without ever saying a word. I can tell you right now, my wife's looking at me and says, well, hold on. You can't hear it, but I can hear it loud and clear. Dinner is not served yet. You may be hungry tonight. <laughs> oh, goodness. And so, though you should never look at Jesus like he's a, a marital partner, I want to talk to you. And I do want to show some of the similarities of that love relationship that we have with him. Because as Christians, we often tire from saying, God, do this for me. God, give me this. God, provide this for me. And yet we hurt that relationship over and over and over again. Using just me and Betsy as an example, I want to take you back to a couple of years ago when Betsy and I dated. I learned this in a very real and very personal way. As I got up in the morning to drive off to Lamb Pastures where I was pastoring the church, my wife was already at the sink as I got up. She was already doing the dishes. She was still in her pajamas. And she said, hey, babe, can you help me finish the dishes? And I said, oh, baby, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. I've got to get to shower. I've got to get out the door because I'm going to land pastor. I'm teaching them. We're at this school. Then I'm going to be in my office. And I can't get it. She said, okay, just find on the phone. Then, of course, as I came out of the restroom, showered, dressed, she said, can you help me pack lunch? I said, baby, I'm just too busy. I can't do that. Nothing can but I smell of onions on my fingers. Oh, God, all about 
with God. The first consequences of justification is that God removes and eternally removes the reproach and guilt on our conscience before Him who is holy. Not only are we justified before a holy God, but that God against whom we have sinned has Himself justified us. Indeed, He looks at us now as in Christ. What does it mean to have peace with God? What's the peace with you? What's the peace? Peace with God? Were we ever at war with God? No. The answer is, let's see what the scripture says. Romans 8 verse 7, because the carnal mind, this is only carnal, is fleshy, worldly. It is the Greek word there, and his memory serves correctly as Worldly mind is enmity. Enmity is in a state of war with God, against God. So it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. I want you to remember Romans 8, verse 7. Your carnal mind, remember, we're driving down the road and that thought pops up and you're like, where'd that come from? And now you know. It cannot be subject to the law of God. The Bible will tell you that. The Bible has told us that. Nor indeed can be. if we're in a love relationship with God. And we need to remind ourselves that we need to renew our mind. Who was in Genesis 6 verse 5? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. So, obviously, we were at a state of war with God. The way our heart works, the way our minds think, we began to be offensive to God. Look at the next slide. Colossians 2, 11 to 17. In him you were also circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Let's look at the next scripture. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made it alive together with him, having forgiven you all the heart. And wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that's the law, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to his cross. Praise God! Amen? Look at the next one. Nailed it to his cross. Blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Thou shalt have no regard. That's not make them to be any graven image. You know them. Nailed them to the tree. Nailed them to the cross in his blood. So we can have peace with God. Next slide. Here's the second part. Not only do we have peace with God, we have access to true grace. Access to true grace. When you're in Jesus Christ and you're a justified believer, you have peace with God and you have access to true grace. What's the difference between true grace and fake grace? Kind of like real news and fake news. Somebody say amen. True. Fake news. What is fake news? I made up something. I made up something. A nothing burger. You ever seen that definition nowadays? We've got to have a 2024 definition nowadays in the dictionary. Nothing burger. In other words, I made much to do about nothing. What is fake grace? Fake grace is saying God did this when He didn't. Or God led me to do this when He didn't lead me to do that. What is true grace, though? 
by whom also we've accessed by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Our present standing before God is in grace. And the favor and love of God rests uninterruptedly upon us. What is true grace? True grace is this. God loves you through His only begotten Son and we are saved from wrath through Jesus. That's true grace. Next slide, please. Nothing can tear a piece of We got into this position by faith and certainly not by our own work. This is not enjoyment. For it had been enjoyment, it would have been said by the Spirit. No doubt the standing gives us the great enjoyment. But we enter the standing by faith. This is the true grace of God where we can. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 5.12 and we'll get a picture of true grace right here. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Silvanus. Silvanus. I like Silvanus. Sometimes you might call him a different name. You might not know his name might be. Silas. There we go. Silvanus. True grace. to bring God's love to the lost. And Paul says, look at him. He is true grace. He is What is that true grace? Peace with God. What is that true grace? Justification of God. What is that true grace? Salvation by grace through faith and nothing else. Next slide. Access to true grace. So will we ever not allow access to true grace? The Old Testament laid around Take a look through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit seemed a little bit different on people, didn't it? You don't need to be a theologian or a Bible scholar to see that. New Testament, when you become a believer, you get the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Now, do I believe it comes differently on people? Absolutely. Do I believe it comes in different ways? Do I believe that we saw people get their hands laid on them and the Holy Spirit come along strong? Absolutely. Do I believe we'll see that again? Yes, I do. And I believe we'll see it again here in the future. Very soon. However, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on one person at a time. Now, he could empower more people if he wanted to. It seems like he would just go to one person at a time. Just one at a time. And not always, but at certain times. The Spirit would come upon somebody, they'd start prophesying. The Spirit would come upon Samson, and he would start whooping those Philistines. Somebody say, You get the picture of it. And as a Christian, you have access to that grace. All the Hebrews 9, verses 6 to 9 tells us, Now when these things have been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing their service. But into the second part of the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, for the people's sins committed in the ignorance. Okay? The Holy Ghost indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Is a symbolic to the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him to perform the greatest purpose in regard to the prophet. Let me translate that for you in modern day English. A offering of bulls, goats, sheep, doves, grain, or liquids cannot make you right with God. It was a picture of Jesus Christ who fulfills all of those offerings. He is our grain offering. He is our drink offering. He is our peace offering. He is our guilt offering. He is everything to the believer, Jesus Christ. Next 
question. Ephesians 2, 14, 18, for he himself is our peace. Yes, he is. Who has made both one, both Jew and Gentile, one, and broken down the middle wall of separation. You ever wonder what that middle wall Paul's talking about there? Went by the temple. If you were a Jew, you told him, go so far. He had a court of the Gentiles. You better not go further or there's going to be a riot. Remember, they arrested Paul for that. Y'all remember that? In Jesus Christ? That wall comes down. And that wall comes down, meaning you can go on with God. You can experience God, not just like a Jew, but you can experience God like Adam did in the fullness because he's justified. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that we were just talking about, that state of war that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Praise God. Next slide. Luke 23, verses 44 to 45. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness. Let's take a look at this veil being torn. All over the earth. Well, there's a picture of it. All over the earth until the ninth hour, till the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Does anybody know when the sixth hour is on the Roman clock? Mary does. So what would be the ninth hour? Three o'clock. Very good. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour, when the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Here's a picture of it. Please remember that's an artist's rendition. That's not actual quotation. Okay? As a disclaimer, some people might think of that right there. Pastor, that's not the way it looks. Well, I weren't there, so I had to take this guy's word for it. That veil was torn. That veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And let me tell you, if you know anything about that veil, it's thicker than a Dallas County phone. You don't better carry that rule like that. No human is going to carry that. Next slide. Boy, I'm just right out of time. Number three, the hope of glory. Hope of glory. Remember, we look at peace of God. We look at true grace. And now we get to look at the hope of glory. God glorifies us. This brings us to the third result. The first had more to do with the past. The second is our present standing. And undoubtedly, the third has the future in view. We rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Let's take a look. I'm right out of time. Let me read the scripture again. First three results of justification have to do with the soul's relationship with God, but the last four have more to do with God's entry to our wilderness experience on our behalf. These last four are presented as normal Christian experiences with developmental of soul maturity and deep sense of God's love by the indwelling spirit. These begin with and not only say. Justification has already given us blessed results, but we have to I got seven o'clock off we'll pick back up Wednesday night, including with this teaching. Hope you'll join in the seven results of a justified believer, seven pictures of justification of a believer, and we'll conclude on that uh, Wednesday evening. Let's close that word of prayer. Uh, what is Dan Lowe? Would you close with your prayer time, please?
you all have a great weekend. Do I say we're going home? Shalom.